What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Salman Ali, at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. You're joined by Ben DuBose of USA Today Sports. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing as well as I can be. Uh, I'm, I'm a little anxious. I'm always anxious nowadays. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking long quarantine naps, which makes yeah. me really uncomfortable. But I mean, it's, it's just something I'm having to adjust to. Yeah, and it's nice to at least see a little bit of light on the edge of the horizon these days. The NBA is getting back to business a little bit. Incremental steps. Last weekend, I was just thrilled. A week ago today was when the Rockets had their event at Toyota Center. Tad Brown talked to us. It was a charity event, but just quite frankly, to get out of the house and do something. It's a little bit nicer. Of course, you know, you're not anywhere near out of the woods yet, but it's a better place now than it was a month ago. And hopefully we continue to make progress. It's going to take a while for me to adjust to like coaches and executives talking to us like they're about to do surgery on us. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it, th- that's going to take some time. And being around that media scrum is still an adjustment because like I, I'm not I'm just staying six feet away from people. You can't yeah. you can't do that in a scrum. Like, it, yeah, it's not possible. Yeah. And funny thing about when Tad was talking to us last week. So the only mask that I actually have, it's a custom mask, but it's a Houston Astros mask. And, of course, I wasn't going to wear that to, like, a professional thing. So I took my wife's little, uh, basically, like, a scarf thing. Yeah, it was and, like a bandana, right? Yeah it, was like a, yeah, it was like a bandana. She got it. Well, the problem was when I started talking, it was falling down my face. And it was really awkward because as I was trying to ask a question, I was getting sidetracked because I had to pull it back up because, I, you know, I guess the rhythm of my voice and, you know, the pressure that puts was causing it to fall down. So long story short, I need a non-Astros professional mask before we truly get back to business. And I'm in the process of looking for one of those. So I feel embarrassed to say this, but I went to that press conference with without a mask because mine, mine broke. The string broke. Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> like it, it would not stay on my ear anymore. And like I, I've since resolved that issue. I bought a new mask. I'm good now. But I had yeah. to go there like just naked, and I I felt <laughs> I was scared. I was just like paranoid as hell. Yeah, well, the good thing at least they did it outside. I I appreciate that they had the awareness to at least uh, do it outside. Of course, you can't be fully distanced at all times the way a scrub works. But at least it's better outside in the sunlight than it would have been indoors at Toyota Center. And yeah, hopefully, the longer we go in this, the easier it is for everyone to have full uh, mask access. So right. So let's go ahead and talk about some news before we get to uh, this game. Uh, we are doing the Rockets we Rewind Series, Rockets versus Magic from January of 2018. So we're going to talk about that, but I want to talk about what's been making the news for the past, I don't know, week or two with the Rockets, and that is uh, rock head coach rumors uh, that have been circulating 
for the past week. Uh, it started with Sam Amick coming on uh, Kelly Eco's podcast, talking about uh, his speculation or his doubt that rather that uh, Mike D'Antoni would not return next season with the Rockets and that... Oh, you know what it was? I think Kelly asked Sam about the Mark Berman rumor that the Rockets were interested in Tom Thibodeau's services along with the Knicks. And I, that was probably the first rumor, but then Sam Amick said, I don't think yeah. Mike is going to be back. And then I think he threw out Jeff Van Gundy in that same interview as a possible replacement. So that's where we are. Um, like th- that's, ki- that's kind of the state of where the rumors are. I'll be completely honest with you. Like I feel really uncomfortable talking about like replacements for a coach when there's still a coach present. Like like when the coach hasn't been fired, when the coach hasn't left, like when that coach is still in his position, it makes me uncomfortable talking about it. But we have to talk about it. I I wrote an article about it this morning. I'll just say this. I still think it's way too early to be talking about this. Like I would not jump the gun on Mike D'Antoni just yet. I largely agree. I think it's worth noting that the sources, Sam Amick, a national guy, and Mark Berman, not our Mark Berman, the Mark Berman for the New York Post, these are guys that are a lot of the time speaking to other teams, to agents, who have not heard anything come from Houston. That's a very important distinction that we need to throw on that. Now, with Amick, we should also note that Sam reported, I think it was December, that barring a championship, the expectation was that D'Antoni would not return in Houston. But again, that doesn't mean that the information is coming from Houston this time of year. And it's almost like the offseason, Salman. Now, I know we're both optimistic the NBA will eventually be able to resume. But let's let's be real. There's a lot of people, especially agents that are sitting around. They don't have much to do. They're going to speculate, especially because half the league may not even return anyway. The longer this hiatus goes on, by the way, we can talk about this if you want. But the more I grow skeptical that they're going to have a regular season just because you can cut down the teams by half. And so in terms of logistics concerns, that goes way down. I would love it if there is a regular season. It's just the longer it goes on, the more I say, hey, maybe they just try and cut it in half. But the point is, even if those teams do play by some chance, then they're not going to have anything to play for. They know that basically they're just playing out the string. So for most of the NBA, you have months of inactivity and the standings are largely already set with half the team knowing that this is not, or half the league knowing that this is not going to be their year. It's off season mode. And so when these power brokers, be it agents, other teams, GMs, talk to um, the Sam Amex of the world or any reporter for that matter, they're going to speculate. They're already thinking ahead to the off season because for a lot of the clients, the 2019 2020 season, the value that's extracted from the performance, it's already done. So as far as I see it, that's a pretty big distinction is that is there talk? Sure. But unless it's coming from Houston, you're only hearing part of the equation. Everybody in Houston this year has raved about Mike D'Antoni. By and large, his performance over four years in Houston has been exemplary. By far the winningest coach in terms of win percentage in Rockets franchise history, both regular season and playoffs. There's a lot of positives there. I think There's a lot of supposition going on because the Rockets and D'Antoni, they publicly had extension talks last summer. They couldn't come to an agreement. So there's a lot of people putting two and two together and assuming. But you're right. You don't want to go too far out on a limb when you're only hearing half of the story. And what happens a lot 
you know, it's it's a game of telephone. A lot of these agents, they put two and two together. They see these coaches that are potentially on the market. In the case of some of the rumors, everybody knows there's a lot of ties between Jeff Van Gundy and the Rockets, the city of Houston. And so, Tom Thibodeau in the Rockets. He's been yeah. a coach for Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah, he was the top assistant on Van Gundy's staff. You can sort of connect the dots. But again, there's a lot of sort of supposition that goes into that. So, you know, I filed away as interesting. It's not a non-story, but until you hear it from something on the Houston side of the fence, I would not make the assumption, especially because, again, it's all going to hinge on the playoffs. And if this season resumes, and I believe it's more likely than not that it will, then the Rockets are going to have a chance. You know, honestly, the one drawback to that week before the hiatus when they had that four-game losing streak, and of course it sank them to tied for fifth, sixth with the tiebreaker in the West, well, since you're not going to have home courts, not having home court advantage doesn't really mean anything anymore. So if they go on a deep playoff run, that can change everything in a hurry. And so between the lack of confirmation from the Houston side and the fact that the playoffs still have not happened yet, I agree with you. I would not sort of uh, write the D'Antoni obituary as it pertains to his Rockets coaching career. I think that's still to be determined. Yeah, and the reality is when Sam Amick says something, like, we have to talk about it. Sure. Like, he's one of the top 10 reporters in the industry. He's plugged in. He knows people. He he talks to agents all the time. Like, th- this is, when when he talks, it's it's coming from an informed perspective. That d- that doesn't mean we have to yeah. take what he's saying as well, gospel just yet. The example that I would throw out, Salman, real quick, from the other side of the fence, think about last June, how many leaks we heard of the Rockets having confidence in Jimmy Butler. That doesn't mean that those reports were not credible. Those were some of the best oh, names. The, the, those were credible, yeah. Yeah, those were very credible. I mean, I mean, beyond just what we've heard, though, I mean, guys like McMahon, Fagan, Kelly, there were lots of big-name reporters that all confirmed it, and then it happened. Or it did, then it didn't happen, excuse me. And the thing is, it's not that they were wrong. They're just telling you one side of the story which is what they are hearing from Houston. There's also other teams. In that case, there's Butler's camp. And in this case, what's difficult about it is that if you push back, it's a lot of people think, oh, you know, you must be saying that Sam Amick or Mark Berman or whoever it is is wrong. No, it's not that. It's just a reminder that that's only one part of the story. And so when it comes to, you know, what's going on with Mike D'Antoni, what the Rockets want and what they're going to offer, that's part of it. There's also the D'Antoni agent factor that's been discussed a lot in the past, what his relationship is like with the Rockets. Is there a way that that can be improved? Or perhaps does D'Antoni take even more control over his own situation this offseason since, you know, last offseason he didn't sign an extension, but he was still under contract. It's not like his job was on the line. After this year, his contract is up. He's going to have to make a decision, signing a new contract in Houston, going somewhere else. He's going to have to take command of his situation. And so maybe that takes the agent out of the loop a little bit, if that's a problem. There's lots of possibilities. But yeah, to get back to the point, we're not pushing back on the report and saying that Sam or Mark or whoever it is, is wrong. Just as the same way those reporters that said that the Rockets were optimistic about Jimmy Butler, they weren't wrong. It's just the fact that they're telling you one side of the equation. And of course, in terms of what actually plays out, there's other people that may have different perspectives, and we wait and see what the final decision is from, well, Jimmy Butler last summer, and of course, Mike D'Antoni, whenever uh, this NBA offseason comes to pass. Yeah, and I'll say this. I, I do think the 
relationship between D'Antoni's camp, uh, his agent, and the Rockets was a little bit fractured this summer. Uh, mm-hmm. th- just the way the Rockets went about negotiating, they went directly to Mike D'Antoni at one point. That probably really pissed off uh, his agent, Warren Legary. Uh, and I think there's going to there's gonna need to be some massaging of that relationship before they really get back to the table and sure. negotiate. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I understand people who are skeptical to believe Daryl, right? Like, talk is cheap. Like, like Daryl, at one point last offseason, said that Chris Paul would would 100% return to the Rockets, and then a few weeks later, traded for Russell Westbrook. Right, like, it's one of those things where I completely understand anyone being skeptical of anything coming from a front office member's mouth. It's one of those things where, like, these decisions are really complicated. You have to look at... Mike D'Antoni's time with the Houston so far, like he, it's as you said, he's the winningest coach in franchise history. He's developed an identity for the team. Uh, the, the Rockets don't make the Robert Covington trade this year without Mike D'Antoni. Like that's just that's just a fact. Like that that they they don't do that if Mike D'Antoni is not the coach. They don't decide to play this way if Mike D'Antoni is not the coach. He's developed a strong rapport with the players in that locker room, including James Harden, especially James Harden. Like I want to hammer that point home over and over and mm-hmm. over again. That relationship between James Harden and Mike. Tony is really, really strong, stronger than I think most people understand, and I think bringing in a new coach complicates that. Like, I, it's, it's, you have to look at a variety of factors, and the biggest factor I think remaining is the playoffs. Like, we still yep. have a huge piece of the puzzle remaining before the Rockets make a decision, and like, th- this is how these decisions work. Like, playoff performance matters as much as we don't like to think it all boils down to one tournament in May. It, this kind of stuff is what the what front offices look at. They, they look at internal expectation for the team yep. and whether or not the team succeeds or uh, falls short of those expectations. And one more point as far as the playoffs for this particular Rockets team, assuming there are NBA playoffs, of course, in 2020, it's especially the case because unlike prior years, they have had much more of a big picture mindset. They've sat Russell Westbrook out one game of all back-to-backs. For example, even when they had that four-game slide that sent them from the third seed, almost the second, down to the sixth before the hiatus, you know they could have played Russell Westbrook on both ends of the Charlotte-Orlando back-to-back, and I'm guessing they don't lose both of those games. They stuck with their plan. We know Eric Gordon hasn't been right. He had an in-season surgery. They've tried to manage his minutes. Now, if he comes back, maybe this hiatus makes him more fresh. We generally have seen the Rockets play much more of a long game. P.J. Tucker's minutes were getting up there for a while, but they did a decent job after the trade deadline, bringing in uh, Jeff Green, Damari Carroll, trying to get those minutes down a little bit. Not a ton, but at least he's down, I think, 34 points something now, not the crazy numbers he had earlier in the year So we have seen the Rockets. It's not a night and day shift, but they played a little bit more of a long game in 2019-2020 with an eye on being the best, best version of themselves in the playoffs, not going full throttle in the regular season. So because of that in particular, I think with this team, it's probably wise to wait and see, Okay, what happens when it gets to the playoffs and they are at full capacity? They would be a higher seed right now if they didn't do what they did with Westbrook this year. Like that's just yep. that's just true. Like they they literally sacrificed games. Now whether or not that pays off come playoff time, I have no idea. Nobody really knows. The Rockets don't really know either. They're just betting that this is the best strategy for them going forward. Uh, and we'll see if that calculus works out. I would just end with this: don't jump the gun on Mike D'Antoni. Like the, the, that's like my central point. Like do do not assume I agree. that this is a done deal, and do not assume 
the other way, they don't assume he's coming back. It's it's still up in the air. There's still a lot of things that have to be played out, and I just feel uncomfortable talking about possible replacements for a Hall of Fame head coach this early in the process. I think that's fair. Right. Um. So let's talk about this game, shall we? Yep. I'll be completely honest. With you. I don't remember this game very well, and it happened two years ago. Like when I think of the greatest games, Rockets games, of the last ten years, this isn't one that immediately comes to mind. But I do think it deserves to be on this list. A few fans suggested it to me that I do this game, and I had to go yeah. back and I rewatched it, and I ranked it. I ranked it sixth um, in terms of the decade. What do you think about that ranking? Is it too high, too low, or am I in the right ballpark? Uh, it's probably in the right ballpark just because of the insane Harden performance. It's not a game that you remember because the Magic, not an especially great team, although they did make the playoffs, I believe, that season. Or Am I off? The Magic were in it in 2019 or 2018. They weren't very good. It, 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 whatever the case. That... Whatever the case, whether they snuck in the playoffs or they yeah. weren't, point is, yeah, it wasn't a marquee win, and the Rockets were not at full strength by a long shot. Chris Paul, Trevor Ariza didn't play groin injury, hamstring, Eric Gordon tweaked his back early on and played just 10 minutes. So it was one of those games, it's sort of forgettable in the grand scheme, and they barely won, but Harden, he set the franchise scoring record. One of the big memories I have when I think of that game is seeing Calvin Murphy, you know, applauding from the AT&T booth up in the uh, top of the first section at Toyota Center, because, you know, some of these guys, just think back to the 1972 Miami Dolphins, these old guys do not want to see their records broken to see Calvin cheering on James for doing that. But more than anything, it was it was a performance that showed you the turbo nuclear button that James Harden has and still has. We saw it more a year later. That turbo nuclear button, I'm borrowing it from my buddy Karthik Prasad, Stanford KP on Twitter. But to me, that's what I saw out of this game. The fact that no matter the circumstances of supporting cast, James Harden has that gear that only really a few players in the history of the league have ever had. Right. So as you said, the Magic were a really, really bad basketball team at this point. Uh, that's not what made this impressive Harden performance memorable, as you said. What made it memorable was that first Chris Paul and Trevor Reza were out and Eric Gordon left the game after 10 minutes. Uh, Harden is basically left to fend for himself from a scoring and creation standpoint. And he puts up one of those, I'm not going to let this team lose performances. Like, And he's had a lot of them over the years, but this one is definitely on the higher end of them. Like he... He has 60 points, 11 assists, uh, 10 rebounds, 4 steals, 19 of 30 from the field, 5 of 14 from 3-point range, 17 of 18 from the free throw line. Which, by the way, that means he... That's ridiculous. Let's put this in perspective. That means he shot 14 of 16 inside the arc. That's just nuts. And, oh, in addition to shooting 14 of 16 uh, inside the arc, because he only had 5 threes of his 19 made field goals. So, yeah, 14 of 16 inside the arc. And he also got to the free throw line 18 times, uh, making 17 of those. And yeah, sorry, NBA Twitter, those do count. So, uh, I mean, just a, a crazy game. And by the way, one little thing that I enjoyed about it, you know who the defender on him was for a large portion of that game? It was Jonathan Simmons, the guy who in the 2017 playoffs the year before seemed to give Harden a lot of problems on that Spurs team. Now, in that Spurs series, I think there was a lot more going on. I don't think it was so much matchups so much as over the course of the series by game six. Quite frankly, I just don't think that the Rockets believed that they could win that series, even if they had won the game six without Kawhi. I don't think they thought they had a realistic shot at the game seven in San Antonio, especially after blowing 
the golden opportunity in game five. I think what happened in that series, and you can blame whoever you want to blame, I don't think it was so much what they couldn't do. I think they just sort of accepted that we're not the better team. And that's frustrating, but that's a separate discussion than from a tactical perspective, what James Harden is able to do. So I really enjoyed seeing Harden for portions of that game against the Magic go out and have that much success against Jonathan Simmons, the guy from that Spurs team that a year ago at times seemed to give Harden a lot of trouble in the playoffs. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Arc2's a partner, Bet Online, so it's hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. BetOnline has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE. That's BLUEWIRE, all caps, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottles is feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. That's drinkafavor.com. No, you're 100% right. Like, that... that that Spurs series in particular, like the, the way the Spurs defended Harden has become a blueprint for how other teams defended Harden. Yeah. Uh, going for especially the Jazz. The Jazz took a lot from that Spurs series, and, and they've emulated it uh, in their various matchups against the Rockets. Uh, that that strategy of defending Harden from behind and kind of forcing him to the right side of the floor and funneling him to a big man and, and, and just allowing him to, to make as many drives as he wants as long as there's a big man there. Uh, that's a Spurs strategy. The, the, that, that, that came from that series. But yeah, it, it's one of those things where like this game is... He's, he's basically by himself. There's nobody there to help him out. And he's just driving to the rim layup after layup at the, in the first half. Like I, From my memory, this game was a three-point barrage. But when I went back and yeah. I watched the film, I mean, most of his points came from layups. As you said, he was 14 of 16 from inside the arc. This was basically a layup line for Harden. Yeah, they only made 13 three-pointers as a team. This was not a game in which they just... And that's what we've seen a lot the last couple of years in particular. If they're shorthanded, they'll just go incredibly heavy on the threes and hope that over time the math advantage will win out. This wasn't that. It was just James Harden being relentless. And I think more than anything, think about the pounding that it takes to shoot 18 free throws. That means you're constantly driving to, as we mentioned, of, what, 30 attempts over half of them for Harden were inside the arc, which is pretty atypical for him on a lot of days. That means he was being aggressive on the drives. And so when you think about the usage rate, the fact that it's not like he's just sort of dribbling and taking the step back threes, he's going in absorbing the contact because that's sort of what the defense is giving him. You mentioned at times sort of playing him from the side, even behind. It shows you, I think, beyond, and I think at some point, when we're talking about a 60-point triple-double, adrenaline kicks in a little bit. He's a competitor. But just for most of the game, it shows a crazy amount of uh, fitness. And I would say that's something that I think has developed a lot about Harden in the past couple of years. I think that game is emblematic of it, and I think it's underappreciated. You know, you think back 
to three, four years ago, that 41 and 41 year, uh, 2015, 2016, he was not ready to go. Uh, defensively, he just did not have the energy. I know he had offseason uh, ankle sprain that may have played into it. And then the next year, you know, we talked about the Spurs series in the playoffs. There was a degree of wearing down. And, of course, Harden's kind of an Iron Man. He plays all those minutes. But, again, when you're a superstar, that's what teams count on you to do. And so, really, the last three years, or at least the last couple, I think Harden, 2017, 2018, that was the MVP year. And then, of course, last year, averaging over 36 a game. What was so remarkable about it to me and the Magic game is kind of emblematic of that, there wasn't that wearing down at any point, in my opinion. And there wasn't really to start this year. Now, you could argue maybe in 2020, the last couple of months, we started to see some tired legs, and perhaps the time off uh, for right now is good for him. But yeah, I think what was different about James Harden the last two years relative to the few before that was that he's, his fitness in particular, he seemed more ready to be there night after night, both ends of the court. And I think the, the Magic game in particular, not having really any help, it, it showed a version of James Harden that hadn't always been there in the prior seasons. I'm glad you mentioned that 41-41 and 41 season because that offseason, you really started to see Harden take on more of a leadership role and start to take yep. more of the staying in shape side of the game more seriously. He just turned 27 and knew, like, I can't do what I used to do and still come into camp in shape anymore. I have to take better care of my body. He knew that the organization had basically given him the keys, that they they let Dwight Howard walk in free agency. They were they decided, you know, we're going to restructure completely around James Harden. They hired a coach that catered everything around him. Harden also started to get more and more involved in the front office side of things, and he started to let his voice be known to Daryl and Garrison and those guys. It's like, I, I don't think people remember, like, Harden wasn't really that involved up until that point. But that yeah. but that but that's really where he started to take on more of an onus. Uh, I think even that summer, he went to the draft uh, war room with the Rockets and uh, sat in and kind of just gave his perspective on things. But that's really when that started, that started to happen. And, like, this was, this 2017-18 season was kind of the culmination of Harden. Like, I thought this was easily his best season to date. And obviously, he got an MVP from it. And in this game, he's just incredible. Incredible. He has 80% true shooting. He's getting to the line constantly. He's, he's still getting to the rim at a really, really good level. Like You would think a game where he scores 60 points is a game where he has like 10 threes, and that's just not the case. He's just he's just really, really, as you said, in shape. And the, 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 the Magic just don't have an answer for him. And it's not surprising. This Magic team is pretty bad defensively. Like at, at the end of the game, they start doubling him, and he's still making ridiculous shots. Yeah, this was, again, it was sort of an odd game for the 2017-2018 season because we mostly think of that season, rightfully so, for just the true dominance. 65 wins, by far the best team in franchise history. I know they didn't win the championship, but let's be real. We know that in terms of the quality of teams, it can go deeper than that. We know the circumstances as to why they didn't win the championship with uh, CP's hamstring against the Warriors. But that game was an outlier. In a way, the reason that Orlando game sticks out to me it was one of those games that makes you wonder about what is this guy capable of? And then we saw it over a longer period the next season when Chris had the consistent hamstring issues. And that's when the unguardable tour started. And of course, the 30, uh, 32 games of 30 plus points consistently scoring 50. It's felt like whatever he wanted. 
that stretch, in my opinion, it's the Orlando game that sort of first, I, I think, started to put on the radar that he might be capable of that. Now, fortunately, in that season, 2017-2018, the Rockets didn't have to have James do it that much. That's part of why they were such a great team was because when healthy, when you had Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, you didn't have to put that sort of burden on James. But yeah, the reason I remember that Orlando game is that knowing what we know now, you think back about what Harden did this past year, you think back really early this season, uh, November and December of 2019, just those crazy unguardable stretches that he went on. And I would say that, yeah, that Orlando one was the first and I wouldn't, well, not the first, but it was the first one at scale where you could see, you know, holy crap, this isn't just an efficiency wizard. This is a guy who, if you need it, has the tenacity, the fitness, all the attributes to, you know, if you need it, you can do this to scale and he can score 50 plus on a semi-consistent basis, which he did. So, yeah, to me, like I said, it's just an odd game because it's not really reflective of the 2017-2018 Rockets. It's actually a little bit more emblematic of that later season 2018 2019 when they had all the issues but it was the one of those signs that sort of showed you that if you need it james harden is capable of almost you know single-handedly rescuing a team a season by himself yeah and james harden's one of those unique players in nba history where like to win the mvp one one thing doesn't have to happen for him everything has to happen for them because he's not a very popular player amongst the media like like the, the rockets have to win a lot of games uh chris paul has to be really injured he missed 24 games this season uh and he has to carry carry the team through that he has to have ridiculous performances like this and he has to have performances where he takes a little bit of a step back and and lets the rockets be dominant and all that stuff has to co- has to correlate to winning and th- th- that that's what made this season particularly unique but yeah i mean i think up until this point in january i don't think like, I think people knew that James Harden was in the lead for the MVP, but this game kind of put a stamp on it. This was like the first real game where the media was like, okay, yeah, we have to really start talking about what Harden is doing this season and taking it seriously. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in hindsight, too, because at times when you have a team that's as dominant as that 2017-2018 Rockets team, you can sort of get into, okay— is the team just too good to where the player isn't even really challenged? It comes too easy. I mean, we look back now and, you know, we should have appreciated that team even more at the time because of how consistent their dominance was. And it's one of those things. Now, it helped. Harden didn't really have a foil that year. I know there are some LeBron stands that will argue for him, but that Cleveland team was a mess. I mean, that was an absolute mess. I know they still got to the finals anyway, but that's more about the Eastern Conference. People who voted for LeBron that year should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. Like, like, like LeBron for the first half of that season, like treated the game in such a disgusting manner. Right. Like, like it, it, it was like he did not try until the, the Cavs had to make trade and restructure yeah. the roster like it was so obvious and you saw the flip switch right away after the yeah. trade deadline that to me is why it was so unjustifiable to vote for LeBron first that year there was a game a couple of weeks after uh the Rockets magic that season it was Rockets at Cleveland it was the Saturday night game of the week on ABC it was the most stunning lack of attention to any detail by the Cavs. I mean, they were basically out there walking. It was the easiest I've ever seen the Rockets have a so-called statement victory. I mean, it was the ABC game of the week for a reason, because on paper, uh, it, it should have been a big-time matchup. In reality, it wasn't. Um, 
I mean, there's just a lot of whitewashing by LeBron stands that try and make that season more than it is. And then those really disingenuous graphics that show, you know, just totals because LeBron played all 82 and Harden played just 72 because he had some nagging injuries at various points. And of course, the Rockets had such a big lead for a home court advantage. They were able to shut guys down in the last couple of weeks of the year. Um, I mean, I mean and that th- just, there was a point where that Cavs team was on pace for like 500. Like they, 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 right. ba- they barely squeaked out 50 wins. It was embarrassing. But to get back to the point, Harden didn't really have a foil that year. He was so far ahead of the field that it was pretty easy for him, honestly, even though he's not really that liked, as you said, in the media. But um, if it was a closer race, like, say, the year before when it was Harden and Russ and Russ had that historic triple-double year, then you sort of need your signature moments. And like I said, fortunately – the Rockets and Harden were so dominant that year, they didn't necessarily need them. But yeah, if they had, that was the kind of moment that when you're on a team that's that great, it can be hard to have those moments. In fact, we've seen that a little bit uh, this year. Like, So my opinion on the MVP race this year, I think Giannis definitely should win. And I think now he will. Because whenever the season resumes, uh, even if there are regular season games, I think there's going to be such of a uh, a time lapse that people are going to take a bigger picture perspective. It's forced everyone to take a step back. If there had been no COVID, had the season continued as it was, I would have personally voted for Giannis as MVP if I were a voter, which I'm not. I think there was a legitimate shot that LeBron would have won it because of the momentum you could see that that last weekend when you know LeBron beat Giannis head to head, then they beat the Clippers that Sunday. It was becoming a bit of a tidal wave, and of course, this is LeBron. He's 35 years old. It's a feel-good season for him. You know, this stoppage forces everyone to take a step back to look at the bigger picture. And Giannis, his season, his team—they have been dominant. They deserve it. But because they're so dominant. There haven't been really that many moments for Giannis this year where you say, man, this was the game that he just took over and this was just crazy transcendent. It's more just the brute force of what he does and what his team does night after night. That's what, to get back to you know the 2018 Rockets and Harden, that's what that Orlando game did. It was sort of, you know, it humanized the Rockets on that night with all the injuries, as shorthanded as they were. They weren't a juggernaut. They had to scrap. And so to see, even when they weren't that good, to see Harden be able to pull that out, yeah, it, it's the sort of thing that, like I said, he didn't necessarily need it that year, but he easily could have. And it's the sort of uh, MVP game, even if it's not uh, a standout opponent. Yeah, as you said, like the field was narrow, uh, and that was a, a, another feather in his cap. Like Again, everything had to go right for him to finally get this one. Like So going back to Calvin Murphy, by this point in time, Harden had almost passed up Calvin's 57-point scoring record multiple times, and everybody knew it. Like It was just a matter of time yeah. before he eclipsed him. Uh, hell, I, I think even Calvin knew it was going to happen at some point, and I think... I think he felt remorse when it happened, but he was ultimately okay with it because it was James Harden that got to pass him up and not some random rocket. Yeah. And by the way, one little thing, I'm looking at the box score that's sort of interesting to me about this game. Clint Capella and Nene combined for over 43 minutes. You also had Ryan Anderson starting. They had not made the switch. That happened at the All-Star break to starting PJ over Ryan at the four. Ryan played. He played almost 33 minutes. Uh, Luke started in place of Trevor. Luke played 39. But you still had PJ playing 36 minutes off the bench, which tells you back then 
they downsized. There was a lot. When you have Capella and Nene playing almost the entire game, when you have uh, Ryan playing nearly 35 minutes, yeah, that's a lot of minutes that you had P.J. at the three, which is pretty crazy to think about in hindsight, given how the Rockets use him and their trend now. But it shows you that that team, you know, they had the versatility to play a lot of different ways. And, of course, that's a couple of years older uh, or younger P.J. Tucker older by a couple of years, just turned 35 years old this week. But that's an interesting wrinkle as well. Those Rockets had the versatility to play uh, multiple styles. Yeah, as far as as far as far James and Calvin, that's like, like I said, when I think of that game, Salman, the one sort of image that I go to before anything else is of how happy Calvin is when that record finally breaks. And of course, we had seen it coming again. He had teased it for a while, but it just shows you, and that's what's so silly about a lot of the folks on NBA Twitter that for whatever reason seem convinced that James Harden is a bad guy or they like to make him the villain. Guys like Calvin that have been legends, that are Hall of Famers, that praise doesn't come easily. They're proud of what they do. And so to see one of the all-time Houston legends, his numbers in the rafters at Toyota Center, that genuinely happy for James I mean, it should be a crystal clear reminder that, hey, James is a guy who is genuinely respected by those people that are around him, that know him. That's one of the things that's just so striking to me, so weird about the people that villainize uh, villainize him, because you never see that from the people that know him best, because they watch him day after day. They know the attention to detail. They know how he interacts with people. There is genuine respect. And so of all the guys to sort of, uh, again, make an enemy out of James, if you're around him, if you watch him on a daily basis, I mean, the endorsement of guys like Calvin Murphy, I mean, that should speak volumes. He's not only a great player, but he's generally liked, respected. He does things the right way. And so to me, yeah, seeing Calvin cheer him the way he did, that's the defining image that I have of that game. By the way, the way he passes up Calvin is like so improbable. Like he makes this buzzer beating, uh, contested and one step back three. Like it wasn't yeah. a, it wasn't a normal way to pass up a record. It, it, it was so crazy. It was so the Harden way. Yeah, he's on yeah. the floor and he's like doing this swimming motion. Like I, do you remember that? He's like he's like he's like yep. waddling his arms and he's like oh yeah <laughs> yeah he's on the floor and like the, the Rockets are like surrounding him. Everybody in the arena knew what happened. Yeah, and another factoid about that to keep in mind number one that shot that he made at the end it wasn't just about the record they were still trying to hold off the magic in that game they were shorthanded they only won the game by seven they needed that to put it away and win and at the time they were trailing the warriors in the standings i know they eventually overcame the warriors got home court advantage and a lot of that had to do with the fact that the warriors uh kd curry they had some injuries in march of that year but the rockets needed to win that game to just stay within striking distance it was actually that next weekend, I believe, that was when they beat the Warriors, that Saturday night game in Houston. It was the you know, the third of a three-game series. It was previously tied at one, and so that gave them the tiebreaker, and that's when they started to really make a push, eventually overtook them. But yeah, they could not afford to lose that game, especially when, on paper, it's one that they should win. And uh, the Magic were not that good that year, certainly not the level of Rockets or anywhere remotely close. So there's that angle to it all. There's also the fact that Less than three weeks before that, it was the New Year's Eve game that year that Harden had a grade two hamstring pull. That's a pretty big deal. We mentioned earlier he played just 72 games. The biggest issue he had was New Year's Eve against the Lakers. Uh, he went out, he pulled that hamstring, 
came back pretty quickly. And so to see him coming off, um, it was a month later, excuse me, this is January 30th. I think it was January 20th for some reason. So it was just after that Warriors game. But they had yet to overtake the Warriors in the standings at that point. Sorry, I got mixed up on the days by a little bit. But yeah, point is, we're less than a month removed from when he suffered a grade two hamstring strain, missed more than a couple of weeks. Generally, that can be a five to six week injury. That's how long that Chris Paul missed the next season when he had a grade two hammy strain. And so to see him less than a month after that play 46 minutes to stay out there just because without CP, without Ariza, without Gordon, that's what the Rockets needed to win and stay competitive with the Warriors. That just shows you the uh, the mentality, the dedication that Harden had. And again, it was just one of those it was just one of those signs that, hey, this is different than the Harden from even a couple of years previous. Yeah, I mean, looking back at it, like the, that Warriors team won uh, 58 games. And, and and you would think like, oh, so like the race wasn't that close. No, like the, the, the Rockets and Warriors were battling night in and night out for that for that top seed. And when the Rockets finally passed them, the Warriors let their foot off the gas. Had the, the Rockets not, not passed them, the, the, the Warriors would have won like 63 games this season. Yeah, it was one of those situations. The Rockets, they trailed for most of the year. It was just, and they had that crazy run in February and March. That's still the most consistent stretch of dominance that I've ever seen following the Rockets. When you think back to that run they went on, and this was January 30th, so it was leading into it. Of course, when they became dominant, it was when they had all their pieces back. But yeah, for most of the year, they were trailing the Warriors. And so, yeah, when you look at the final standings, 65 wins to 58, that largely reflects Number one, the Warriors had a lot of injuries in March where they really fell off the pace. Even when the Rockets did go up on them, they were only up by, you know, usually a couple of games, something like that. It was a combination of, you know, the Warriors injuries. And then once it became evident to the Rockets, they actually clinched the one seed a couple of weeks before the season ended. And so then you sort of had the Warriors. Okay, we know we're the two seed. There's no real reason to sort of push the envelope. But yeah, at the time. It was a big deal, and that's why you had Harden gut it out the, the way he did, and they needed it. Again, it's one of those things like it, it bothers me, the hindsight analysis, someone that we see on Twitter, because, yeah, the Rockets lost in the playoffs to the Warriors. Well, yeah, we know the reason why, because of the Chris Paul hamstring injury. Nonetheless, the home court advantage being the one seed, it was a big deal. Being able to take that game two so that you didn't start off down 0-2 in the series. That game five that went down to the wire, the home card at Toyota Center, was enormous. That's what put them in there. The game seven, even without Chris Paul, they led going deep into the third quarter in large part because they were playing off the crowd, even though they were deeply and badly outmanned from a talent perspective. They it lost mattered. by eight points. Like people, yeah. rem- people remember that game as some sort of blowout for Warriors victory. Like, no. the, like the Rockets led the first half and the Warriors blew out the second half, and that's just not true. And on paper, when you look at the sides, Golden State was much more talented without uh, with the Rockets not having Chris Paul. That's the reality. So the point is that home court advantage. Yes, it did matter. It was meaningful. It's just it's really hard to win a championship and. Sometimes it doesn't – well, a lot of the times it doesn't work out. That's just the odds of sports. That's how it works. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't still a significant uh, accomplishment. And you know, similarly, a year later when the Rockets barely missed out on the, uh, you know, the two seed, as it turns out, if they play the Warriors later in the playoffs, maybe you get the entire series in which they don't have Kevin Durant. And that changes things as opposed to Durant played five of the six games against the Rockets because – 
uh, it was in the second round rather than the finals. And of course, I know that the clinching game, the Warriors didn't have KD at the end of the day. That is one game. The vast majority of the series, over 80%, KD was out there. So, yeah, the point is, you know, there's too much just sort of analysis by, okay, did you win the series or the title or not? When in reality, you know, it's a lot more complicated than that. And getting the one seed that year, it was a big deal. And Harden being able to gut it out, play 46 minutes the way he did, and, of course, 60 points, having the stamina to play that long, drive into the paint, all the dynamic ways in which he was able to score in that game, it mattered. They didn't win the title, but it mattered. It, it was real. And so it's one of those things you look back and it was a part of their uh, evolution, no doubt. Yeah, and the Rockets needed that 60-point triple-double from Harden. Like, this was a close, close game. It wasn't just, oh, the Rockets. It was close up until the third quarter, and then Harden just played the fourth quarter anyways to fill up his stats. Like, no, he he played because they needed him to play. Uh, and it wasn't like he was chasing Murphy's record. Like, yeah, he, he obviously wanted Murphy's record, but he... He, he needed to score. Like the Rockets were at that point in the game only up by one. And he, he hit that step back three. They get a four point lead. And then they kind of pull, pull away with the game. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, this was a fun one, Ben. Uh, thanks for, so, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Um, trying to think, uh, these days, just hoping for news. Uh, Rockets wire is one place you can get it. Rocketswire.usatoday.com. Sorry if you hear noise in the background, uh, dogs are barking at the mailman. That's one of the uh, side effects, for some reason, of uh, quarantine life. My dogs have gotten uber-protective. I have no idea why. I guess it's because we're home all the time. But anyway, yeah, these days, uh, like you, it's sort of hoping for news. Rocketswire.usatoday.com is where you can find it. Of course, I'm on Twitter, at Ben Dubose. And yeah, just every day, piecing through the morsels of information about you know if and hopefully when we get this thing back rolling for the uh, – 2020 playoffs this was fun subscribe to the podcast on itunes google play spotify and stitcher give us five stars on itunes if you enjoy the show and yeah guys good night